have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19. How's everybody doing this morning? You guys doing all right? You're looking good. If you're a first-time guest, just want you to know we want to connect with you. And um, like Shelly said, we're not, we're not going to come knocking at your door or any of that stuff. But we want you to know you matter to us. And so we are so glad that you're here with us. We're thrilled that you chose to worship uh, this morning with us. So we're in 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're actually wrapping up a series. So if you're coming in for the first time, I'll kind of bring you up to speed. But we've been doing a series on, on this guy named, does anybody know his name? Begins with an E. Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. <clears throat> yeah, one of the greatest men who's ever lived, um, who's ever been like that has been recorded in the Bible for us. And the beautiful thing is I love how God allows us to look at people's lives and he kind of sort of gives us a behind the scenes look to, so we can learn. And, um, and so today we're going to be looking at him, 1 Kings chapter 19. As we begin today, I want you to take a moment and I want you to think about your greatest, like some of your greatest victories in life. Just take a moment, because a lot of times we go through life and it's, it's, we're always looking ahead like, what's the next challenge, right? What's the next thing? What's the next thing that's bringing us stress? What's the next thing that we have to put up with, that we have to endure? But I just want you to take a moment and um, I want you to take a moment and celebrate in your mind, I want you to celebrate some of the victories that you have had, all right? Just take a minute. And some of the things that you feel like, man, that was a challenge, but that was a win. Think a minute, think for a minute about some of the things that you have feel like, man, that was a challenge, but it was a win. You got it? All right. So for some of you, it may, it may have been, I don't know, maybe a, a victory over an addiction. There was something in your life that you were not proud of and you were able to beat that thing. For some of you, you may have been, I mean, it may, it may have been dead and, um, and you were able to overcome that. And some of you are in the middle of that. And it's okay. The best is yet to come. You're going you're gonna to push through. For some of you, it may have been cancer. I mean, that's not fun. You go to the doctor and he says, you know, the C word, you know, like nobody wants to hear. And going through that, that was difficult. But you were able to go through it. We have people in our church that have gone through it. And they have come out the other side victoriously. It's, I think it's important that from time to time, we hit the pause button, and we just say, in our minds, we recalibrate and recognize the different wins that we have been, that we've, that we've had. Last week, last week, Elijah had one of the greatest wins that, that we can see in Scripture. It was huge, and, and I'll tell you here a little bit more about it, but as I was getting ready for the message... I was thinking of the victory of Big Red. Do you guys know who Big Red is? Does anybody know who Big Red is? It's one of the greatest races um, ever known to mankind. Big Red was the nickname given to a horse, also known as, do you know? Does anybody know? Secretariat. Yeah, there you go. I saw some of you guys. You raised your hand. And um, so back in the 70s, this, this horse 
Big Red Secretariat. I think there was a movie, also really inspiring movie. If you haven't seen it, really, I don't usually um, kind of promote movies from the stage or anything like that, but this is one of those that's like fantastic movie, very inspirational. inspirational. In 1973, Big Red became the first Triple Crown winner in 25 years. His record-breaking victory in the Belmont Stakes, which he won by 31 lengths, is widely regarded as one of the greatest races of all times. And I found a clip that I want to show you, okay? I want to show you the race where he actually sets, I mean, like, this was unbeatable for, I don't even know how many years. I don't get into horses that much. But he sets his record, like, two minutes and, and 24 seconds. And do we have that? Can, can we show it? All right, so let's go ahead and watch and this. It, it just, and private smiles is still to me, it was just incredible. So what, watch this. Stretch. It's almost a match race now. Secretariat's on the inside, by a hit. Sham is on the outside. They've opened 10 lengths on Mike Gallon, who is third by ahead, with twice the Prince fourth. Then it's another eight lengths back to Private Smiles, who is trailing the field. They continue down the backstretch. Is that Secretariat now taking the lead? He's got it by about a length and a half. Still Sham. Now, you, you're going to see in a minute how he's going to, like, get ahead of the pack. This is just unbelievable. For the turn at Secretariat, it looks like he's opening. The lead is increasing. Make it three, three and a half. He's moving into the turn. Secretariat holding on to a large lead. Sam is second, and then it's a long way back to Mike Gallon and twice a foot. They're on the turn. Secretariat is blazing along. The first three quarters of a mile in 109 and four fifths. Secretariat is widening now. He is moving like a tremendous machine. Secretariat by 12. Secretariat by 14 lengths on the turn. Sam is dropping back. It looks like they'll catch him today as Mike Allen and Vice the Prince are both coming up to him now. But Secretariat is all alone. He's out there almost the six yeah, far ahead he is. from the rest of the horses. Secretariat is in a position that he's impossible to get. He's into the stretch. Secretariat leads his field by 18 lengths. And now Vice the Prince is taking second. There you go. So he, here's the crazy thing about this horse. This horse. He was able to accelerate as the race was going on. So like if the first quarter of a mile, if he was going like, you know, like he did it in like 25 seconds, the next one, it was actually faster. He'd be like in 23 seconds. And then the next one, it would be like the next quarter of a mile would be like 20 seconds. And as the race was progressing, the horse was actually getting faster and faster. And I don't even know for how many years it was just like unbeatable to be able to do this. The reason why I ask you to think about your greatest victory is because a lot of times in life, what I've experienced is that whenever we go through those moments where it's like, just man, I just had a huge win. You know what happens next? You know what happens next? After your greatest victories come your greatest defeat. And so I don't even know, I don't even know why it happens, but I could be having a great service. I mean, people are giving their life to Christ. People are stepping forward in faith. Things are great. And then as soon as I get in the car, I get a phone call. You know, and it's just something that, man, it just, it's just devastating. And I just cannot believe it. Has that ever happened to you? Like you go through seasons in life and you're thinking, man, like how is that? Like, how, I mean, this is such a big, the, the highest high to the lowest lows. 
And so what you're going to see is that last week, it was Elijah's, one of the greatest miracles, one of the greatest victories. And then you're going to see today, he is in the dumps, man. He is in the lowest. So last week, if last week's was fireworks today, like he is just, he doesn't know what to do with himself. He doesn't, I mean, this is the lowest point in his life. And what I love about God's word is that God lets us in. And he, he lets us see what's happening behind people's lives so that you and I can relate. So that you and I can say, oh, okay, if this guy, if he's the man of God and he went through that, if this guy is the man of God and God used him in such a powerful way and he said those things, then maybe I understand why, like, I've been going through some things and I, sometimes I even said some things that I'm not super proud of. And so the question today is this. Here's a question. How do we keep accelerating through life when the t- tough times come? Because they're going to come, right? How do we, like when you feel like you're free falling, you feel like, man, I just don't have any more in me. I cannot give to that person anymore. I cannot go in that direction anymore. I just, I am tired. I'm at the end of my rope. How do you keep going? How do you win the, the battle victoriously? Because it's going to happen. Last week, last week, Elijah... Uh, just if, in case you're coming in, just to kind of bring you up to speed, he he sets up this challenge. Okay, and you can go back and listen to all three uh, all, all three messages um, from the series. But just to kind of bring you up to to speed, he sets up this challenge between the God of Baal and Jehovah God, the one and true God. And he sets up a sacrifice and basically says, he says, we're gonna we're gonna find out who the true God is by fire. Whoever sends fire and lights a sacrifice, that's the true God. And what we learned from last week is that God, he shows up, he shows off in a powerful way. Key verse from last week was the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the soil. And it also licked up the water in the trench. I mean, it was powerful, powerful, powerful. I mean, it was just unbelievable what God was able to do. Elijah, after that happened goes and he captures all of the false prophets. He goes to Mount um, uh, Carmel and he prays for rain. They haven't had rain in three years. Okay, He prays for rain. Rain comes. At the same time, the wicked king goes to his wife. Remember her name? It begins with the J. Jezebel. So at the same time that Elijah is going up the mountain praying for rain, the rain is coming. He's already captured all of the false prophets. Rain is coming. The king, the wicked king, comes, goes to his wife. And here's where we pick up the story. Here it is. Verse 1. Again, not fireworks today, but I want you to see this. Verse 1. Now Ahab, that's the king, that's the wicked king. The Bible tells us he was the most wicked king of all the kings that Israel had had. Told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now what you're going to see is that Ahab... Towards the end of his reign, he sort of kind of becomes a wimp. At the beginning, he's the macho man, you know, he's getting everything done. But towards the end of his reign, he's like, man, I'm done. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. And he essentially gives away his leadership to his wife. He's like, you take care of things. And that's what he's doing right, right now. And Jezebel is going to basically pick up things and she's going to begin to lead um, her reign, his reign. So verse 2. So Jezebel, watch this sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, 
If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them, like the, the false prophets. So Jezebel essentially is sending a message to Elijah. And what's the message? What is she saying in that verse? What's she saying to, what, what's the message that she's saying? You're what? You're dead. I don't care if you're a man of God. I don't care if you've done some miracles. I don't care who you think you are. By how, how fast? By what? By like tomorrow. You know, we're, I'm going to prove to you that you're going to be a dead man, a man of God. Yes, but a, a dead man of God. Now, the key verse to, our, our, to this morning is verse 3, the next verse. Watch this. It says, and Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I first read that, I'm like, What? I had to go back and reread it like two or three times. Look at, hold on, hold on. Did I get this right? Is this really the same person? Like, I, I mean, several times I went back and I read the whole thing. And then I, like, so I'll go, time out. We got to hit the pause button for a minute because this is, this, is very, this is very strange. This doesn't make sense. It says that Elijah what? Elijah was what? Help me out. Elijah was what? Afraid. He was afraid. And then what else? He what for his life? He ran for his life. Is this the same guy? Like, do you remember the last line? Let me just kind of recap it real quick. This is the same guy that God comes to him and says, Okay, Elijah, I want you to go before the wicked king, who, by the way, can, like he could literally have his, your head on a platter, and I want you to tell him there's no more rain. You know, and, and that was like the most, the worst judgment that you could have pronounced on the land. And Elijah is faithful, and he's obedient, and he goes before the wicked king. He says, no, no more rain, and there's no more rain for three years. That was week one. That was, by the way, a declaration of war that Elijah was presenting this king. Week two, remember what happened? Elijah goes, he's, he's at this place, there's no water, there's no food, and God provides a brook for him. And he's, he's got, I mean, there's a serious drought in the land. And he's able to drink because God provides his brook um, so that he can drink. And then he provides two ravens or ravens in the morning and at night to bring him meat and to bring him bread. And then, and then the brook dries up and he leaves and he goes to this place. And God provides for him by, through what? Remember, it was a widow. I mean, Elijah was a strong man, right? And of all people that he could have been provided for, I mean, why would God choose a widow, right? And God, through uh, Elijah, says, this lady's like on her last meal. And she's like, this is it. This is my last meal. I cannot. And, and God provides for months. And they're able to eat. The lady has a son. She, he dies. He picks up the boy, takes him to the upper room, gets on him and prays his prayer that had never been prayed before. God, I don't know if you're going to do this. I don't know if, if, it's, if it's even possible. No, no prayer had been prayed like this before. He says, would you please bring him back to life? And God, for the first time in history, uses Elijah to bring a dead boy back to life. And then, week three, last week, Elijah is in front of 900 different false prophets. And he sets up this match, and he's, we're trying to figure out who is the real, who's the real, the one and only true God. And, 
You know, the God of Baal couldn't do a thing. He couldn't even send a little spark. And when he prays his prayer, God sends a huge fire and lights up the sacrifice. And so I'm reading my Bible as I was getting ready for the message today, and I'm like, is this even the same guy? I mean, he has been, he has seen one miracle after the next. No, there's no way. This it can't, it can't be the same person. And it says, look at it one more time, verse 3. And Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Why do you think that is? Why would he be afraid? You know, and then the more I read it, the more I realized that God was talking about me. Because I'm exactly the same, the same way. Let me ask you a question, just kind of be honest. How many of you worry about things that you should not worry about? Would you raise your hand? You worry about things that you know you shouldn't worry about. Yeah, yeah. All the time, right? Like you know better. You know that God's provided for you in the past. You know that he's given you the strength to make it. He's given you the grace. He's never left you alone. You've seen him. You've seen his miracles in your own personal life. You've seen it in other people's lives. And yet, I mean, most of our hands went up and we worry about things that maybe we shouldn't worry about. I do it all the time. You know why? Verses 3 through 5 tell us why we worry. Why we get down, why we get depressed. Look at it. This is why Elijah got down. This is why you and I get down. It says this, the, the bottom of verse 3. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Pay attention to that. I'm going I'm to touch on that here in a little bit. So he leaves his servant while he himself went a day's journey into the what? Into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. It says, I, I have had enough, Lord. Like this is... God, I cannot handle this anymore. I am, I've been there. I've been to a place in my life where it's like, God, I cannot take this stress anymore. And I'm on my knees and I'm in tears. And I, I just, Lord, I, I just, this is too difficult for me to handle. And Elijah, the man of God, you would think that this, I mean, after all the miracles, you would think that he would know, right? He had just, I mean, he had just seen fireworks. I mean, he had seen God move in a powerful way. And as soon as Jezebel says, you know what, tomorrow you're, you're in dead meat. He runs for his life and he, he says this. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Three things that can get us down. Three things that will slow you down. Three things that will essentially prevent you from accelerating and being and living a life of victory. Okay? These th three things will, will make your life miserable. Number one, verse three, it says, Elijah left his servant behind. He withdrew himself. In other words, he was out of reach. He, was, he isolated himself. From those people that took care of him. Those people that loved him. He essentially put up a wall. I, I've done that too. It's, it's those times when I'm down. It's, it's those times that I don't want anybody around me. 
You know, it's, it's those times when I need people in my life and I need to be open and say, okay, you know what? I am struggling. But it's, it's when I'm going through those struggles that I don't, I don't, I just don't want anybody in my life. And that's what Elijah, he said, it says he, he went a day's journey, left his servant behind, and he just kind of, just, he was doing life on his own. And a lot of times, you know, I think that, you think that just because you have one of these, that you're connected, right? Like, you, I mean, I have half of my life on this thing, right? I mean, my calendar, my emails, my, you know, text, community, I mean, I can communicate with, like, I have, like, Five, five, six different apps that I use to communicate with people. And you would think that, that we, of all people, would be like the most connected. You know, but we're not. In fact, um, in New York, if you, ever, if, you, if you ever go to New York, you'll see people, hundreds of people walking the streets with their, looking at their phones, you know. And it's one, of the, it's one of the highest cities that's dealing with deep depression symptoms and loneliness. And you would think, man, everybody's super connected, Right? Not really. In fact, there's a new trend where adults are embracing these like new communal places. So you have like an apartment complex, hundreds of people live in the same place, and they'll have the same kitchen, the same TV area, the same laundry, coffee bar, and all of that stuff. And what they're finding out is that that thing is growing like crazy because people are in New York are iso- so isolated that they just want to. There's something about community that they're missing. And so you hear me preach from time to time, life group, life group, all the time. Don't do life alone. You know, you, from time to time, like you, you, you've heard me say, like, if you have to make a decision between a Sunday morning gathering or life group, if, if you have to pick and choose one or the other, go to a life group. Why? Because you, you come to a place like this, 100 people in here, you miss a week, you miss two weeks, you miss three weeks, and it's hard for people to notice you. If you're in a smaller group, in a smaller setting, they'll know what you're dealing with. They know the struggles that you're having. They know if you miss one week, a couple of weeks, they'll, they'll call you. They'll make, they, they care about you. And so the enemy knows this strategy. And if you're not careful, when you're going through difficult moments, you'll find yourself dealing with those things all alone. One of the things that I love about uh, some of the pictures that I've been seeing as far as share the love is how we have all of these life groups that are going into our community and sharing the love of Christ. Like, I think I have a, a few pictures here. Can we put up? Um, let me just show you. This is Mike Phillips, his life group. Uh, they get together. They go biking. Um, I love that, that you can, you can have a life group where you just go and just do something fun. They were sharing that there was three different mountain bike uh, shops in town. They were sharing the love of Christ. Uh, can we put the next one? This one is our ESL students, um, just loving on those, those folks. Next. This one is Pastor Nicholas and Nicole sharing the, the love of Christ with uh, Bethesda Clinic. And we have a couple more. Can we show the other ones? Um, here's another one, another um, place in town. I think it's a pet store. We just went and love on soap people. Next one. Um, this is Marcus and Matt's. Life group at a retirement home, just loving on some people. I have a couple more, one more. Uh, this is a, some folks just putting some goodie bags for, for the teachers at, at a couple of different schools. But here's, here's what, I, what I love about this. The Bible says this. The Bible says, never abandon a friend, either yours or your father's. Watch this. 
Never abandon a friend, either yours or your father's. When disaster strikes, you won't have to ask a brother for assistance. Why does it say that? It doesn't make sense. Well, it explains it. It's better to go to a neighbor than a brother who lives far away. It's almost as if God is saying, hey, listen, 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 listen. It's better, like the people that you're doing life with, the people that you're in community with, they're like a family. So if you have relatives that are far away and you just don't have anybody to do community with, it is better for you to hang out with them and to go to a brother that's, that, that, to those, those people that are close than a brother that's far away. God is not saying this to get anything out of it. Okay? It, it, like when, when I encourage you to come to church, it's not so that you can just check off the box and it's like, yep, done. No, no, it's because he understands you. He knows that you're a human being in need of other human relationships. True, authentic, real relationships. And sometimes, because of the the way church is done in America, sometimes a Sunday morning, it's it's great for worship. It's great to come and serve and open up the doors to people that are coming for the first time. But sometimes, because it's a bigger crowd, it's really hard to get through to each one of us and get to know people in real ways. Does that make sense? And so I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. If you're not in a life group, I want to encourage you. Like maybe, maybe there's not a place for you. Like, oh, you know, I've looked into him. There's not a home. Be the first one to open up your home. It's okay. It's messy. It's okay. My home, my house is messy too. Everybody's home is messy. It's okay. And by the way, if you're the first to open up your home, you never know. If, if you take that first step of faith, you never know if other people are going to join you. And sometimes it just takes one person to take a step of faith and say, you know what, God, I'm going to do this. I promise you, I promise you, it will be a game changer in your walk, in your spiritual walk with, with the Lord. Elijah, he says, you know what, I don't need you. He leaves his servant behind and he's doing life on his own. And you're going to see, well, actually, you saw what happened. He's like, he gets to a point like, I'm done, God. And the sad thing is he didn't have anybody close to him to help him in that moment. So here's the second reason why he was down, he was depressed, he exhausted himself. He was just going, I mean, he was so worn out, he was so tired. For the last three years, he'd been on this cycle where there was a challenge in front of him and he would trust God, he would pray, he, was, he would have faith, but then he would go to battle. And immediately after that, it was another one. You know, another challenge, and he would pray, and he would trust God, and he would have faith, and he would go to battle. And then, all of a sudden, you see him, another challenge, Jezebel is coming after him, and he's trusting God, he's having faith, he's, he's praying, but he runs. You know why? He was tired. He was exhausted. If you look, look in your Bibles, if you look at the verses, geographically, he couldn't have gone, he couldn't have ran any further than he did. He went to the very southern tip. I mean, he left his servant behind. He goes into the desert. The Bible says he goes a day's journey. He goes as far as he can go on his own. And when he stops, he's emotionally drained. He is exhausted. And the truth is, some of you are doing the same thing. You know, you're burning the candle at both ends. 
You know, some of you, I know you, and you have two jobs. You're doing this here. You're doing that there. You're running the kids all over the place, putting the dinner on the table, taking care of the house. You're involved with PTA. You're doing church. You're doing this. And you don't, and you're exhausted, and you're not giving yourself a little bit of a break. And some, sometimes one of the most spiritual things you can do is take a nap. Sometimes one of the most spiritual things you can do is stay home, not come to church. <gasps> the pastor said you don't have to go to church. Yes, we have a pass. That can be actually a spiritual exercise. Take a little break. I'm not saying that some of you need to come to church more often, but that's, a, that's another story. But you get my heart, right? Some of you, you're just going and going and going and going. And you're stressed out. And you find yourself in holes and you're depressed. And what's interesting is what happens next in the story. I love, I love this. Elijah says, kill me. Like, I'm done, God, just take me. And then what, what happens next? He what? He falls asleep, doesn't he? And look at what God does. This is the grace of our Heavenly Father. An angel shows up. And I love that this angel did not give Elijah a 45-minute sermon on not giving up. Right? If I would have been God, I would have been like, come on, Elijah, you can do this. You know, look at you know, give him the whole sermon, right? Look at your last three years, one miracle after the next. What, what, you know, why are you giving up? Why are you running? I'm the same God yesterday to the end forever. No, 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 no. God doesn't do that. I love how God, our God is. He sends his angel. There's no message. There's no shame. There's none of that. No guilt. Look what he did. Verse 5. All... At once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. That doesn't sound like a spiritual thing to say, right? No sermon, no speech, no thou shalt do this or thou shalt not do this. Verse 6, look at it. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then what happened? He what? He lays down again. Guys, tired. Okay. Have you ever been there? Have you ever gone and like you just going a hundred miles an hour and it's nonstop? It's Elijah. Verse seven. Watch what happens. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, "Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you." I love that. I love that our God knows. He knows we're, he knows we're not machines. He knows your, your, your body gets tired emotionally, physically, spiritually. And of all the things that God could have done, he says, you know what? Wakes him up, have something to eat. Guy eats, goes back to sleep, wakes, sends an angel again, wakes him up, eat again. And he knows. That's why he says, that's why he says on, take one day a week and rest. Call it your Sabbath. Call it whatever. Whatever you want to call it. You know, rest. He's not doing it. for. doesn't benefit him in any way. He's doing it because he knows you. One of the things that I struggle with is resting. You know, I'm one of those guys that I just go, 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 go. I, can, I love what I do, and so that makes it even harder and so I can be like, 
you know, texting, sending emails. Sometimes I feel bad if it's a text, you know. But, like, I, I wake up a lot of times in the middle of the night. I can go two, three, four weeks without taking a day off. Like, I just love it. But what I find is that after I do that for a little bit of time, I get into this hole where I begin not to enjoy it as much. And I begin to make poor decisions. And I begin to lose patience. And I'm not the person that I know I am. And it's, and it's just like I get into this cycle. Any of you guys like that? You just say, go, 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 go. Yeah, yeah, several hands. Yeah. I have people in my life that I've asked them to keep me accountable. I've given them permission. I say, hey, ask me if I'm resting. And I always, you know, I, I know it's good for me, but I don't like it when they ask me. Hey, what are you doing? You know, Fridays, usually I take a day off. You know, and I'm like, you know, like, are you resting? And I'm like, not, not really. I can't today, but I'm going to make up for it. <laughs> you know? Elijah is emotionally, he's going through an emotional breakdown. He is alone. There's nobody next to him to take care of him. He's exhausted. He's overextended himself. Number three, he neglected his personal time with God. Look at what happens in verse 8, 8, and we'll close. Man, you guys can get on stage. We'll do eight and then we'll close. It says this. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. You see what kind of guy this is? Like he is just a go, 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 nonstop. How, how many days? How many nights? 40. Okay? So he didn't learn his lesson. <laughs> Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days, 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Many theologians believe this is the same place where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And what I see God doing here through this whole passage is he's basically saying, eat, rest, and go worship me. The mountain, he's... Going to the mountain of God. Essentially, how do you how do you, like how do you know what God's prescription is for someone who's emotionally drained, who's exhausted? It's right here. He says, eat well, rest more, and then go to the place where you're going to be reminded of God's goodness. It's simple, right? It's not, it doesn't take a rocket scientist like Eat well, rest more, and go to the place where you're going to be reminded of God's provision, God's goodness for you. For some of you, that's Sunday morning. And that's my, my heart is to add a little bit of value to you every week. I hope, my hope is that you leave this place feeling like, man, that was good today. Like, that helped me keep going. That helped me keep accelerating like that horse, right? But the truth is that for some of you, that may be waking up a little bit earlier in tomorrow morning and having a cup of tea or a cup of coffee before the kids wake up and connecting with God that way. For, for some of you, it may be um, your back porch. For Jesus, it was the mountains. For some of you, it may be fishing. For some of you, I mean, I don't know. Some of you, I said, I said earlier, some of you need to sleep in. It's okay. Don't You don't have to deal with the guilt and the shame that... I'm there, I'm being productive. 
Some of you, the most spiritual thing you can do is just stay in bed and connect with God. You wake up every morning, 4.30, 5 in the morning. Best thing you can do is just relax and connect. Open up your Bible app. Say a word of prayer. Tell him how you feel. I have a friend that uh, on his way from work to his house, um, I saw him here the other day about 6.30. I was leaving and um, he was in his van out there. And I said, hey man, what's you doing? You know, he says, from time to time what I do is before I make it home, after a long day at work, I just stop by and I just spend a little bit of time on my own and I just try to reconnect with God. And I thought, that's what it's about, you know? You don't need church to do that. You can do that anywhere. So let me ask you, is your personal time with God missing in your life? Because the truth is, it's the hardest thing I do. I can prepare a message. I have to prepare a message every week. But there are seasons of my life where I'm not connecting with God on a personal level. And the messages that I'm giving you is just, just it's a speech. But I know, because I know how I feel, and you know it too, that when I, if I go through the seasons like that for too long, the strength goes away. And the enemy attacks my mind, and it's easier for him to penetrate. And so, if it's missing, if that personal time with God is missing, don't neglect it for too long. Because you're going to get into a, you're going to dig yourself into a hole. It's a dark place. It's hard to get out. It's the secret sauce to your, to your life. It's where you gain wisdom. It's where you gain strength. It's where, it's, it's what you need to keep going. It's what you need to keep accelerating. It's that personal time. Wherever it is, make sure you, make sure, make sure it's there. I'll kind of wrap up the story real quick. Um, not long after this, God is going to give Elijah a gift. It's actually a boy, um, not a son, but a man. His name is Elisha. Everybody say Elisha. Sometimes you get the two confused, Elijah and Elisha. And this, this boy, Elisha, he's kind of like a preacher's kid. He's going to look up to Elijah. And Elijah's like, he's done, I'm done, kill me, I can't be used anymore. And God, in His grace, once again, provides His boy for him. And Elisha comes to Elijah and says, I want to be like you. He looks up to him. I want you to give me a double portion of your blessing and your anointing. And Elijah says, if you hang in there with me. In fact, if you, if you, if you, keep, if you stay on the same journey with me for a while. Till, in fact, he says, until I leave this earth. I'll give, you, I'll give it to you. I'll give you the anointing. I'll give you the blessing. And I think what Elijah was teaching him was that there is there's something to be said about the journey, about the ups and downs. Anybody can serve God for a little bit when things are good. But Elijah looks at him and he says, if you hang in there until I leave this earth, I'll give it to you. And I think there was wisdom in that. And then you know what happens next? Elijah ascends into heaven. And Elijah is one of two people in the Bible, in all of Scripture, to my knowledge, 
that does not die. And what I love about this story is that Elijah didn't face his greatest fear. Remember his greatest fear at the beginning of the story? What was his greatest fear? What was he running from? What was he afraid of? Or whom? Jezebel. And Elijah doesn't have to face his biggest what if. Because he ran because she was going after him. What if she gets to me? What if I can't get... What if, what if, what if? That's a troublesome question. I ask that all the time. God says, it's your time. I'm leaving somebody behind, Elisha, but I'm going to bring you home. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just, I'm just curious. Don't let the biggest what ifs dictate your life. You know, Jesus says, in this life you will face trouble, but don't worry, I've overcome the world. No need to worry. Elijah did not have to face his, his biggest what if, and neither do you. And even if you have to face it, and even if it does come to pass, it's okay. Because Jesus is with you. He's in you. He's with you. He's fighting your battles. And he's enough. You may not be, but he is. And so would you pray with me? Just tell, just tell him how you feel this morning. If you're not connected somewhere throughout the week, I want to challenge you. Go talk to Pastor Tommy in that, that corner as you exit the building on your right. Don't do life alone. The enemy comes after us when we are isolated. If you're not spending personal time, if you're not experiencing the goodness of God in your life on a regular basis, I want to challenge you to re reconnect with him. So would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your willingness to allow us to see the behind the scenes. That Elijah was a man of God used in powerful ways. Yet he was so frail to say, God, just take my life. What that tells me, Lord, is that none of us are too far from your grace. So God, I pray that you would help us to stay connected to you. And whatever troubles come our way, may we look to you for answers. May we keep fighting the good fight. Love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and worship together.